Good morning. Great to be here with you guys. Um, we're going to jump right into the passage. Uh, we're continuing in our series, Following the King. So we're in Matthew chapter 11. So if you've got uh, a hard copy on you, you feel free to flip there or uh, your glow-in-the-dark Bible on your phone. You can fire that thing up too. It'll also be on the screen. I th- yeah, okay, that monitor's out. This one's on. We're good. Okay, cool. So... Um, our passage today. Before I read it, let's just pray together. (sighs) Yeah, Father, would you come meet us here today? Would you speak to us through your word? Would you open our hearts and minds to whatever it is that you want to say to us and however you want to form us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew... Chapter 11, verse 28, and we're going all the way through 12, 14. So we got a hike. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, if, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So my title uh, for my message today is also a rhetorical question that I'd like us to consider as we get started, and it's this. Are you tired? In the 1960s, there was a a Senate committee that, that projected that by the year 2000, the average American worker would work only 15 hours per week. Their concern was that we would be bored and unfulfilled. And by your laughter, I think we recognize that actually the opposite has happened. In another study done comparing 1979 and uh, 2007, saw that the average worker worked 181 more hours in the year 2007 than the average American worker in, in 1979. Considering a 40-hour work week, that's an extra four and a half weeks a year. 
that, that workers were taking on. On average, Americans work 137 more hours a year than Japanese workers, who we often perceive to be chronically overworked, 260 more than British workers, 349 hours more than German workers, and let's all get ready to move to France, 499 more hours per year than the French. Wow. So we work a lot, but then also consider our, our social calendars and our, our life commitments between taking kids to practice, attending our niece's uh, oboe recital, um, you know, musicals, games, um, family gatherings and meals and you know, the normal everyday to-do list, the, the, the leaky faucet that always needs fixed and the light bulb that's out and, and every house project that just piles up and piles up and piles up. And when do we ever have time to do it? Recently, I was sitting with uh, a young adult friend of mine. He just graduated college last year. And uh, we were just talking, and he just started to tell me about his weekly commitments. And it was like, well, I, I go to this you know, worship thing on Mondays, and on Tuesdays, I serve at this place, and Wednesdays, I volunteer here, and Thursdays is when I go to my small group. And, fr and I didn't even remember everything it was, but it, it came out to like literally six out of seven days, in addition to his full-time job that he works, he was committed to being at something else. You know, I, I, my primary role here is with teenagers and just hearing what school is like these days, you cannot pay me to go back. Most of them wake up before 6 a.m., get up, get ready, uh, you know, eat breakfast, finish whatever homework they didn't have time to do the night before, they, they go to school. I don't know if you guys know this, but Coleraine High School starts before 8 a.m., yuck, that's horrible. Uh, they, they're in school all day, then afterwards they go, you know, they've got clubs and practices and, and whatever, or games. Uh, many uh, high schoolers work, then it's home for, you know, uh, family dinner, if you happen to all be eating together that night, chores, you gotta make sure you do the dishes and, and do your part around the house, sit down to do homework, and uh, you do that until you pass out exhausted at the end of the night and wake up and do it all over again. You know, this is happening just everywhere. I mean, don't even, like, uh, my wife, she's, she's kind of like the primary parent, and you know, she's the stay-at-home home mom in our life, um, and I, I got to experience a taste of the glory of stay-at-home parenthood for two hours the other day. Uh, yeah, for 45 minutes, I had a two-month-old that desperately needed to take a nap and was screaming at me, telling me that, and a two-year-old that desperately wanted me to hold her um, in both arms, rocking them back and forth, thinking that I really want to scream and cry and take a nap too right now. <laughs> While my four-year-old sat downstairs quietly wondering why I wasn't spending any time with her either. It's everywhere. It's not just a generational thing. It's not just, um, you, know, a, you know, a personality type thing. It, it's, it's cultural. It's in the air. In every aspect we are being pushed for more and more and more. Do more, achieve more, fill your schedule. It's exhausting. There's a word for this, a term for it, it's called hurry sickness. Meyer Friedman, a cardiologist, defines it like this. A continuous struggle 
an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. The crazy thing is, is he said that in the 1950s. How much more now? So I'll ask again, are you tired? I feel tired. Now I believe the average first century Jew would have answered this question with a resounding yes. You know, they found themselves in a place of burden between socioeconomic, political, and spiritual pressures. You know, they were a largely impoverished group of people uh, under the occupation of a foreign empire who was imposing their will on, on their people. And they were under spiritual leaders who placed extra demands on top of an already kind of rigorous religious system. It'd be hard to, to be your average person uh, in Jesus's time. And it's into this culture that Jesus comes with an invitation to rest. And he invites us, he invites them to learn a different way by his example. And in the passage we just read, he, he uses this term yoke and burden, which if you're unfamiliar with what a yoke is, we're not talking about eggs, which when I was 12 and first heard this passage, I was like, all right, Jesus likes his yokes running. It's great, <laughs> over easy. <laughs> no, he's, and it's spelled a different way, actually. But um, he, he's using this picture of what, uh, it, like, an ox or a donkey would wear if they were going to pull a cart or uh, pull a plow. That's called their yoke, the thing that kind of attaches them to what they're pulling. Um, even, you know, humans use these sorts of things where it's like you, you put something on your shoulders in order to, like, move something heavier than what is, is typical. It's this device that helps you move a burden, thing that uh, you, you couldn't otherwise do unless it was attached to you. So that's the image here, but this is not a, uh, this, this would not be like a foreign metaphor to the original hearers because uh, in their day, every religious teacher, every, every rabbi had a yoke, and that was essentially their set of teachings, is their way or their way of life. And their burden was what it took to carry that out as, as you live your life. And so Jesus is standing here saying, I have a yoke, I have a way for you to learn, and a burden that's light. It's different than that of the rest of the world. And immediately following that section, as we jump into chapter 12, uh, we see essentially a case study on Jesus' yoke versus the yoke of the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day. Jesus first invites everyone, come to me and rest. And then it's, uh, it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So he's, uh, the story is immediately illustrating the day of rest. So they're, they're undoubtedly connected here. <clears throat> and what we see in the story is, if we go back to Van's message last week, uh, towards the end of the passage, right around Matthew 11, 25 to 27, Jesus is praying, and kind of the theme of that prayer is, Father, I'm gonna reveal you to the world. And so there's a big theme here that we see Jesus revealing what the Father is like in this story. So Jesus and his crew, they're out for a Sabbath day walk through a grain field, and uh, his disciples get hungry, so they just start kind of plucking heads of grain and, and, and snacking. But the problem is that the Pharisees aren't super into that. 
In fact, this is a big no-no in their book, and it's not because they're stealing from a farmer's field. In fact, their law had a provision for this, and this was essentially a, a form of social welfare um, that was available to anybody that would walk through a field. Uh, but it was, so it wasn't the thing they were doing, it was the day in which they were doing it. And it, it, it was on the Sabbath. Uh, commentator David Guzik says this, Matthew just quoted Jesus offering us an easy yoke and a light burden. Now he shows us the kind of heavy burdens and hard yokes the religious leaders put upon the people. When the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain in the eyes of the religious leaders, they were guilty of reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. It's crazy, right? Like, for one little snack, four laws. But interestingly, those specific laws that get quoted here uh, actually don't show up in the Old Testament law. In fact, uh, I went back and looked through, uh, did like a word search uh, this week and, and looked at like, what, does the, what did the Torah actually say about the Sabbath? And it's actually kind of not very detailed, which is crazy because there's you know, laws about like, if your ox falls on this side of a line, you have to you know, set it on fire and keep half of it. You know, like, there's like very specific things. But in this case, it pretty much says, on the Sabbath, you don't work, your kids don't work, your servants don't work, your animals don't work. And that's pretty much the extent of what the law says. It says, keep it, do it, rest. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's kind of silent on what it defines as work. And so what we're seeing here is the, the Pharisees, when they say it's not lawful, what they actually mean is, this is violating our burden. This is against the law that we've created. But you also see that they're kind of conflating their teaching with that of Scripture. And um, I think we can look at this, and obviously, there's a pretty big difference between harvesting a grain field because it's your job and it's your livelihood, and, and you're going to be out there for, for 12 hours uh, harvesting the grain, versus, you know, picking a piece of grain for a snack. But the Pharisees, they didn't see it that way. This, this is one of the burdens that they laid on the people. And so Jesus, he responds to them with a story of David and his men violating the law because they were in need of food. And he points out that the, every Sabbath day, the priests work in the temple, yet they don't, uh, they're not guilty of profaning the Sabbath. And with, this, with these examples, Jesus is revealing what God is actually like. He's... He's clarifying the understanding that God's actually for people. His law is for human flourishing, not just burden and, and strict rules that don't add up or make sense. Now, in this culture, if there's anything more sacred than the Sabbath, it would be the temple. And Jesus declares that he himself is greater than the temple in this passage. And, and he says that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And so, I mean, like, I can't think of any place where Jesus comes out and says, I am God, but this is like pretty stinking close. Because the only, like if you, like the temple was like this central point, like their entire uh, religious system revolved around the temple and only because of who lived in the temple. And so, he's, so if, he, the, if he's saying, I'm greater than the temple, something greater than the temple is here, he's saying, 
It's me, like that's my house. He says he's Lord of the Sabbath. Like, like the temple and the Sabbath, they point to something and they're pointing to him and he's pointing out to them, I'm the point. You know, he, he says that he's Lord over the Sabbath. He created it. He gets it. He knows the point of it. I mean, if you think about this, that would be like going up to Elon Musk and being like, let me explain to you how a Tesla works. <laughs> or Mark Zuckerberg, like, hey, have you heard about this new feature on Facebook? Like, yeah, I made it. Like, that's what's happening here. Where They're like, hey, Jesus, uh, do you know this about the Sabbath? He's like, Yes, yes I do. I was there when it was instituted. And in the middle of all that, he says uh, in verse seven, he said, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. We see here, God's heart is for mercy, not sacrifice. The Sabbath, as it was created, was to be a mercy from God, not a sacrifice for man. And then the story continues, and Jesus goes into the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand, and the Pharisees are like, we got him this time. And they said, is it, is it lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath? And he just like shows him up in a very loving way. Um, and he says, uh, you know, if, you, if your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you help it? Like, people are way more important than sheep, and so of course it's okay to do good things on the Sabbath. And he, and he heals the man's hand right there and the Pharisees go off uh, ready to kill him, trying to figure out how to kill him. And so what we see in this story here is this clash of Jesus' burden versus the Pharisees' burden. Another commentator, R.T. France, says this. Jesus' arguments attempt to restore the rest to what was in danger of becoming under the weight of scribal elaborations of the law more a burden than blessing. So the Sabbath, a day of, of God's mercy to us, had become a day for sacrifice, a hard day. And so Jesus is confronting the legalism of the Pharisees because by their rules, the Sabbath had become a burden, and this, of course, was never God's intention. It was meant to be a time of rest, refreshment, and delight, a time of restoration, and I would also argue here that Jesus never intended to abolish the Sabbath. I, right here, I don't think Jesus is, he's not breaking any law. I think he's just doing what he probably did on the Sabbath day. Like We're just gonna go for a walk through a grain field. It looks nice. It's a day of mercy, not of sacrifice. The, Jesus and, and how he practices the Sabbath can be an example to us. In a parallel passage uh, in Mark chapter two, uh, we see almost the exact same story, except Mark adds one phrase that, that's, that's left out here, and it's this. It says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Now, if you've been around here much and you've, you've heard us talk about the Sabbath, and you've probably heard this quoted, that, that a first century Jew would have needed to hear that second part predominantly, not man for the Sabbath. You're not, here, like, you're not supposed to sacrifice for the Sabbath. But what we in the 21st century probably need to hear more is the Sabbath was made for man. Amen. This rest is a gift of God to his people. Amen. It is a mercy of God to us. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. So I want to take a few moments and just look back at these beginning few verses together. Back in Matthew 11, and I'll just reread it. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as I was preparing this week, and whenever I prepare a message, I kind of just ask the Father, what is, what's like the thing that you want to say to whoever I'm speaking to this week? And, and this is really just where my, my attention went. And the thing that stood out to me most here is that we see Jesus' pace and his posture. He says his burden is easy. The way of life he's calling us to is not demanding. In fact, when we look at Jesus' life, he just never seems to be in a hurry. He's just always content to be interrupted when he's on his way to someone's house or, or he, he's always got the time to, to stand at the door and pray for every single person that, that walks by. So his invitation to rest this invitation to come and, and take his yoke upon him is, is to receive something that he already has, to learn his pace of life. And then he describes himself as gentle and lowly at heart. To me, that's just like mind-blowing because like when I think about like a modern leader, they're not gentle and lowly at heart. They're probably like sometimes short-tempered or um, you know, very demanding or they know exactly what they want and how they're gonna get it. It's probably a little bit of a caricature, but you get the point. Jesus, no doubt, had busy times. Like, for sure. He, like, we kind of see like three years of his life and it's, it actually kind of, really what we see is like a few months within, a, within three years of his life and he's just always doing stuff. Like, he's got a lot on his plate, for sure but the busyness never seems to touch his posture that he carries internally. There's just something about living from rest that enables you to endure differently when the busy times come. And this pace and posture is both for us to experience as his followers and an example to us for how to live. N.T. Wright says, when he declares here in the old translation that he is meek and lowly of heart, he isn't boasting that he's attained some special level of spiritual achievement. He is encouraging us to believe that he isn't going to stand over us like a policeman and isn't going to be cross with us like an angry school teacher. When we see this passage, we see the kind of teacher that we get to learn from. but we also see the kind of person that Jesus is trying to form us into, someone who's gentle and lowly at heart, a person who lives from rest with an easy burden, who's gentle and humble, a person, ultimately a person of love. In, a, in the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer uh, has this profound, like, three-line sentence it is love is anti-hurry. And like, 
that I, it, it's probably still up there, but it's written on a, a whiteboard back in the children's ministry space, and I see it every week when I pick my kids up from, from class, and like that just rings in my head as I'm sitting and you know, getting into the car saying, hurry up, we're late. <laughs> um, what I've found is I'm never the best dad, never the best husband, never the best father, I'm never the best Jordan when I'm hurried. But the world is trying to push us in the opposite direction. It's like a badge of honor to be busy and to be in a rush because there's like this artificial importance that comes along with, oh, I don't have time right now. I have to go to this next thing. Oh, I've got a meeting, sorry. The pace and posture of the world is heavy burden. It's expectation to produce and it's arrogance and a high view of self. When you're gentle and lowly of heart, it's hard to be in a hurry. I think in 2023, we're not really in danger of taking on the yoke of the Pharisees as much. I mean, maybe some of us like just really strictly wanna follow all the laws about sacrifice and, and add extra things on top of that. But I think for us, it's more what I'd call the yoke of culture, as we've kind of been laying out here. You know, the burden is go, 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 never stop, produce more, achieve more, fill your schedule. If we were to retell the Sabbath story in modern times, it'd probably look like something like Jesus is walking through a grain field on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees pass by on their way to their kids' fifth basket weaving contest of the week <laughs> on a business call and responding to an email uh, regarding their side hustle and looking at Jesus annoyed and confused, asking, why are you wasting your time? But if we're being even more honest, they'd probably just be too busy to notice Jesus at all. And in our culture, I'd say one of the greatest dangers for us is that we're just too busy to follow Jesus. So if you're here and you find yourself tired, burnout, exhausted, if you never feel finished or settled, if you feel like you're carrying more than you can handle, Jesus is inviting you into a different way. Many of us, I mean, I've done it, have taken on the yoke of culture. We're busy, we're distracted, we're hurried. But in a culture of busyness and more, Jesus is calling us to learn his way, to come and rest, to find a rest so good that it doesn't just solve your body problems, you don't just feel, re but it, like soul level rest. And I wanna say this too, it's not, he's not inviting you to a vacation where you just go and visit Jesus' way and then you go back out, he's inviting you into a way of life. He wants to inhabit your life. He wants to do life with you. And so his rest doesn't leave Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday or, or seven days a week. Like it, it, it's not just for when you hit your low point. We're designed to live from rest. If you look at the, the creation narrative, and whether you think it's a, you know, like a literal seven days or it's a symbolic poem, you know, whatever, there's truth here. Humans were created on the sixth day, their first full day in creation after they've been commissioned for uh, life and mission and you know, all that stuff. Their first day, rest. And then they start. 
We're designed to live from rest, not for rest. So here today, Jesus is inviting us to adopt his pace and posture in a world that is very anti that. I wanna take you back to March 2022 for a second. It's a cold night. I find myself walking home in the dark. My mind's in a thousand places. Do I just wanna cry? Do I wanna punch somebody in the face? Do I wanna scream? Do I wanna just like burn my laptop and never look at it again? I was in the middle of the busiest and hardest season of my life to date. I just finished the third of six conferences that I was in charge of running in a 13-month period. And um, I was well underway in planning the next one. In fact, in this like season of my life, I wasn't ever just thinking about one conference. It was like, and the next one, and the next one, because there were so many things that just go into it. And where uh, in my typical rhythm as youth pastor here, um, you know, I maybe spend a couple hours a month working on one. This was like daily focusing on the next big event that, that we were doing. And in addition to that, I have, that's not my job here. I'm not the, I'm not the event coordinator. Uh, I'm the youth pastor. And so there's, I've, I've got to lead a volunteer team. I've got to run a youth ministry. I've got to disciple students um, and this on top of it. And um, I was just feeling the weight of all this. I was hardly sleeping. Multiple times a week, I'd wake up at three in the morning and I'd just be unable to fall back asleep because my mind was just racing with a never-ending to-do list and make sure you don't forget to send this email and, and make sure you follow up with this person and, and have you done this and that. And then on top of that, dealing with the, uh, the constant negative thoughts, like what if we lose money? What if nobody comes? Is, what's, what's even the point of doing all this? And this day in March, it was a particularly bad day uh, when I... Specifically, when I organize youth events, we kind of have this core group of five churches or so that it's like, if I get all five of these uh, in, then we'll do it because we can pretty much meet any minimum standard of people um, at, at an event center or camp. And uh, on this day, I had one of the bigger churches of those five drop out. And uh, in my mind, I had been thinking, if they attend the event, we'll be, we'll be totally fine financially. But when they dropped out, I just immediately, it hit me like, I think I just lost like multiple thousands of dollars for the church in a time where we just didn't have multiple thousands of dollars to be losing on events. And so I didn't know what to do. Do we cancel? Do I see if I can try to find somebody else this late to notice? I mean, registration's closing in a month. Um, would anybody even wanna come? Why am I trying to do so much? Can I even fix this? Is it like, like, how do we get through this? And I had my house group that night and uh, we got split into like different Bible study groups and all I wanted to do was like all day, I was like, if I can just get to house group and I can talk to somebody and they can pray for me and like, like I'll be able to get through this. But, and so I was like, I'll wait until we get in our Bible study groups and I'll just like bring it up and like everyone will just spend, we'll just spend that time praying and it'll be great. And then we get there and we, we open the passage and then this guy just starts talking and talking and talking. And he's talking about the passage and then he's not and then he's just saying random kind of like Christian phrases out of nowhere and he just like will not stop 
and I'm only hearing like every other word that he's saying, and I'm just like, I'm seeing red and just like, I'm like feeling like I'm about to explode. And so, I mean, I literally closed my Bible and just sat for the rest, the last 10 minutes with my eyes closed because I thought I was going to punch him in the face. <laughs> so then we get in the car, we're driving home, and at the time I just had two daughters, and they were both losing it in the back row of the van and just screaming and screaming and screaming. And my wife is talking to me and I'm hearing every other sentence that she's saying and I'm gripping the wheel. I'm like, just make it home, just make it home, just make it home. Okay, I can't. And something just like snapped. And I pulled over at this park that's about a mile from my house and just said, I need to walk home. I got out at nine o'clock at night in March and started walking. My mind was still racing, and the topic of the moment was, you're a failure. And there's nothing you can do to fix this. No one's gonna be able to help you. And it was just like, I mean, I was at what felt like rock bottom. And that's the moment where I had clarity that I, something had to change in my life and how I was running things. And also, just in this season, I started to see this passage, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, everywhere. I mean, T-shirts, podcasts, conversations, mess, like it was books, like just everywhere it could show up, it was just like suddenly showing up. And I had this realization, I have not been living my life the way Jesus would have me do it. I'm doing a lot of Christian-like things, but I am not living his way. The very next day, I picked up the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and Jesus used that, among other things, to just radically change the direction of my life over the, I mean, it's been a year and a half now, he's still doing it. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't use this sentence loosely, but this has been like getting saved all over again. There's a piece that I didn't know was sustainable There's like a way to do life that actually feels realistic. And the world hasn't stopped running. <laughs> and nothing is burning. Like, like, and at least nothing is burning is my fault as far as I know. I think I turned the <laughs> stove off at home. <laughs> but if you find yourself in a similar spot where you're just so weighed down with your to-do list and commitments or your job or your life or wherever you find yourself and you just don't know what to do, there's hope for you because Jesus is still changing lives and he's still bringing rest to souls today. So no matter where you are in life or what your burden feels like at the moment, like maybe you're like, man, life just feels good and easy. And I mean, I doubt it, but some of you might be there. Jesus is still calling us to learn from him. And I think one of the amazing things about following Jesus is that there's always a call to pass on what it is that he's done in us. And so I've been through this like awful season, but there's this opportunity now to, to help change the lives of those that might follow. That like 
man, I had a hard, hard time, but now I've changed my life in such a way that my kids are getting to experience what it would be like to not have to go through that. And I know that I can't uh, prevent everything that's gonna happen in their future, but I can do what I can now to help them. I can be an example to them for how to live the way of Jesus. And, and whether you've got kids at home or you're an empty nester or uh, you, you know, nieces and nephews, friends, you know, whoever, like there are people that look at your life and, and take notice. And so there's an opportunity to start living the way of Jesus and pass that on. So as we end, I just wanna kinda just share one like practical tip. Uh, and honestly, this is mostly review. If you're around in June, we did a whole series on this. Um, but what I've found is the practice of Jesus that has changed my life the most in the past year and a half is the, the regular practice of Sabbath. It's one day every week, and if I'm being honest, most weeks, still in process, we miss some here and there, uh, where my family and I, we stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. We stop working, worrying, and wanting, so we don't go shopping, we don't talk about things that we like really want. Any worries or anxieties that are on our minds will like, just kinda like say like, hey, this is what I'm worried about, and I'm gonna pick it up later. We stop working, I mean obviously you know, we change diapers, we feed the dog, we feed our kids and stuff, but we don't mow the lawn, we don't vacuum the house, we don't wash dishes, I'm not working on my Sunday sermon no matter how desperately I feel like I need to make some adjustments to it, because we Sabbath on Saturdays. <laughs> Um, but then we rest, we do restorative things, like, I mean, my favorite spiritual practice, take a nap. It's just so good. Those are literally the best Sabbaths, include a nap. Uh, we, we read books, or we go on walks, we delight, we eat good food, we make fun desserts, even crack open the good bottle of bourbon once in a while. Hey. hang out with, with close friends uh, and just do things that are just fun. And we worship. For me personally, I spend the day recognizing that I'm not God and that that's a good thing. And I experience the mercy of his rest on my life. I realize that my to-do list would never be done and so I'm not gonna fix it today and I can just sit and be with him and that just leads my heart to thankfulness. So my greatest encouragement to you is start cultivating a weekly rhythm of rest in your life. Can you do a day? The point is not to add something to an already busy life. It's, to, it's addition by subtraction. Remove the things that are getting in the way. If, and if it's not a day, can you do a half day? Can you do three hours? Can you do an hour? Just a regular rhythm where, where you, you stop, you rest, delight, and you worship. We've got a few minutes left here. Uh, would you stand with me? We're gonna do some ministry. Stand if you're able. Go ahead and posture yourself in whatever position to you communicates, God, I'm open to whatever you wanna do or say right now. For me, that's often hands out in front of me. because I know that if I, I'm, I'm a, if, you, if I cross my arms, I'm not super open to what's going on right now. And I'm just gonna pray to invite the presence of the Lord and we'll see what he does.
Come, Holy Spirit. Would you come meet with us this morning? Would you speak to our hearts? Highlight whatever it is that, that you're doing in us. Would you confirm and encourage where we've, we've taken steps towards your way? Would you convict us from where we've stepped off the path? As you just stay in a receiving posture, I just wanna read those verses over us again. And if at any point there's just like something that just strikes you from that passage, you feel like God's just like pulling on your heart in some way, whether it's this time or the first time or the second time that I read it, what I want you to do is just come forward because I, I think that, that God's gonna meet you here. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to wait till I'm done to come forward. Feel free to come forward. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So thank you, Jesus, for your presence. you come, Lord. Come in power. Come meet us here. Do you restore our souls? You're on, if you're in the room and you're on the, the prayer team, would you just come up here and uh, just you know, pray for anybody that's up here? Um, prayer team or anyone that's been through CSSM or SOPM, welcome, just come and minister. In a moment, there will be folks that are up in front of the stage as well that are, are willing to pray for you if you'd like to respond to this message in any kind of way. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Just let your rest come, Lord.
If you'd like to come receive prayer, it's not too late to come forward. Feel free to receive for as long as you'd like. Unless you have kids, then you have about two minutes left. Otherwise, go in the, the blessing of God's presence and his peace. May his rest meet you this week in Jesus' name.